I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and back joining me after a few weeks off is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen. Brooks, last time we did a podcast, I think everything was uh, was all fine and dandy. Now Memphis has lost three straight games. Fans are panicking. Uh, everything's kind of gone to hell at this point. So so uh, what do you make of it? And And I guess really what messages do you have at this point in the season? Yeah, I leave uh, my last recording. Memphis was in the middle of a three-game winning, winning streak. And I leave, and <laughs> Memphis loses three straight. Uh, you know, honestly, I think we called this, right? You and I. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, six weeks ago said it wouldn't shock us to look up and, and for the 2020 season to end up almost replicating what the 2012-2013 Kentucky team looked like at the end of the year, what the 2011 Memphis team under the second, you know, second year Josh Pastner class looked like um, through, let's see, they're through 25 games right now. Through 25 games, Memphis was 19 and 6. 19 and 6. And they went three and three in their final six games in the 2011 season. So Memphis has six games remaining. If they go three and three, they finish the season at 20 and 11. In order to get to that 22 and nine mark, um, you know they've got to go. They've got to go five and one. Uh, that's that's not happening uh, with the yeah, way with that this two game games is against Houston. Yeah, yeah, I mean, two games against Houston and one against Wichita State. That's tough. And but here's the thing, Christian. Let me just say this: like, I, I feel like we're in the middle of Chicken Little season, where the sky is falling and everything is going wrong. Our pets' heads are falling off. And I, I, there are conspiracy conspiracy theory, you know, folks abounding these days. Everything is not as bad as it seems. It's not all, you know, peaches and roses and, and unicorns and rainbows either. It's not happy-go-lucky right now. You, you can't lose three games, be a dis- disappointment overall, and and be happy. You just can't. But given everything that's happened, I think this team is right where they should be. If... If in August you told me James Wiseman leaves the team after playing only three games, never plays again, Lester Quinones misses six weeks with a broken hand, 
DJ Jeffries and Damian Ball miss a stretch of games because of the flu. I think it was, what, two games apiece? And then... Uh, d- yeah, Damian didn't miss any. DJ missed one. And then, you know, you got Malcolm Dandridge missing essentially half of the season, still recovering from ACL. And then you lose DJ Jeffries for the final six weeks of the season. And you tell me, with six games left, that Memphis is 17-8. and eight. I would say, wow, that's I'm impressed. Uh, That's you know, how did they do that? That's that's actually, you know, they won games during that stretch against Ole Miss, NC State, Tennessee, that a lot of people had had them pegged to lose, Um, and now they're losing some games that people had them pegged to win. You know, the South Florida game, obviously, most people thought. They would win that game. The Georgia loss continues to look like more and more of a bad loss. But overall, this team is what they are. And, you know, they're young. And everybody's like, oh, how, when can we stop using that excuse? You can stop using that excuse when they're not the youngest team in all of college basketball, period. They are still the youngest team in college basketball, even with it being three-fourths of the way through the season or even more than that. So, I don't know, man. I'm just – it's a little disappointing for me to see people so down and out about this team. They are what they are. They're learning. They, As Penny Hardaway said in his presser after the UConn game, is all we can do is continue to to get better. All we can continue to do is, uh, you know, continue to learn, is learn from this and move on. And, you know, as long as you see that progression in this team, I don't know what what else you can expect. They're still top five in three different Ken Palm defensive stats. That's amazing for the, the youngest team in all of college basketball without the number one draft pick who would have done wonders for your defensive stats because of how good he is in the post. And then to lose your, you know, arguably your second best player as of right now for the foreseeable future to still be number one in effective field goal percentage, number two in two-point field goal percentage, and number three in block percentage? I mean, come on. So all of that other stuff, you fix, you know, turnover percentage, turnover rate, all of that stuff with with experience, with getting some more time under these guys' belts. The whole – I just – I don't know where to stop, Christian, because there are so many negatives that people are throwing around right now. I'm like, can we not just chill? We, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the stuff that I see is kind of like – you know, it's, it's it gets pretty questionable. Like, to me – to me, the thing that's most aggravating is there's like two or three people that every time Memphis is Memphis loses on Twitter, like fire Penny before he ruins this program, and that's just that's just too much. I mean, has Penny done questionable things this season? Yeah, has he done everything perfectly? No, but at the end of it, you have to remember this is a, still a second year head coach that is dealing with arguably more adversity than any other. Division one college coach in the country. 
So I, I think it's hard for people to keep that in mind when they see their team losing, you know, game after game in the same fashion. And I can understand that that's obviously frustrating because one, the expectations coming into the season, and two, you're a diehard fan, so you never want to see your team lose. But at the end of the day, kind of like you're saying, you have to be realistic with the scenarios and the situations. And I think people have started to say that, okay, now it's just excuses at this point, and it's really not. I mean, what other high-level Division One program lost their number one overall recruit, uh, their third best player on their team, multiple other big-time role players for for extended periods or stretches of time, you know, like you mentioned with Lester missing a few weeks with the hand, uh, Malcolm not playing the first seven games because of, you know, the ACL injury and coming back from that. So there's no other high level division one program that is, you know, undergoing this much adversity uh, from really what seems to be a week to week basis. It's like, you never know with this Memphis team, something can always happen. Something can always pop up. And then also you add on top of that, something that's really not even talked about, is Isaiah Stokes not gaining eligibility, which would have helped this team tremendously when you look at what's happened throughout the season with James leaving with no Malcolm for stretches, uh, with really not having a guy that can take over in the post outside of Precious Achiwa. So there's so many factors, and and like you're saying, there's so much to unpack with it. There's so much baggage to look through and sort through, and it's I understand it being difficult as a fan, but you know, kind of like you were saying, if if you told Penny Hardaway and that staff everything that would happen this season and they're sitting at 17 and 8 and 500 in the conference, I think they would have taken that because this is not something that you expect at all. Any of these scenarios, I mean, injuries happen, things happen, but typically not to this amount for a team in one season. And like I said, there's there's part of me that sees the fan side of it because this is always going to be the season in Memphis basketball history of what could have been. Because when you look at you know the beginning of the season and what they had, I mean, could they be a top 15 team right now if they had every piece that they had at the beginning of the season? Absolutely. I mean, you see this team close in every game except the uh, the Tulsa game, which was obviously an embarrassment. But everything else, they're in the games until the end, whether it's the last three games when you look at South Florida, Cincinnati, UConn. And they had an opportunity to win all those games. And, and when you look up and say, well, what if they had James Wiseman and DJ Jeffries? You know, they probably would have won those games. This would be a completely different team. So uh, I guess trying to look at it on both sides of the fence, you obviously understand frustration from fans because we're all fans of our own teams and you're frustrated when losses happen and when, when things like this happen. But on the other side, you don't ever want to make excuses as a coach. But, I mean, Penny Hardaway has every right in the world to make excuses. I mean, they knew this was going to be enough of a climb with the youngest team in the country. That's that's a, that's something in of its own of of having literally the youngest team in Division One college basketball. But when you add all these other factors on, I mean, it's it's almost impossible to win on a consistent basis when you never know who's going to be in the lineup. Uh, you never know what's going to happen with injuries and and off the floor. So it's difficult. I understand for both sides, uh, but at this point, you really just have to have to take it for what it is, uh, and and chalk it up. I mean, there's really no other options at this point. So a few things. Boogie Ellis struggled mightily in the middle stretch of the year, especially around the time that James Wiseman decided that he was going to leave the team and shortly after. And I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but you know, his stretch while James was out and then just after he he left in December was bad. 
But over the last seven games, Boogie Ellis is averaging right around 13 points a game. In that stretch, out of Memphis's four last four losses, Memphis has losses by four points against SMU. They actually could have won that game, didn't. Two points to South Florida, should have won that game, didn't. Six points to Cincinnati, should have won that game up by nine with, you know, what, three and some change, four minutes? Three, yeah, three and a half. Didn't. Three points to UConn. Had opportunities to to close that game out, could have, didn't. And and you look, you you said it yourself. Minus the Tulsa game, and personally, I feel like that Tulsa game was so much of just. It was so much more than just about basketball. Um, Everything adding up, man. It was so much adding up. That team just kind of. It was just the perfect storm for a complete beatdown. So let's just throw that one game out. Minus that one game, Memphis has not lost a single game by double figures this year. The biggest loss outside of that game is Wichita State at Wichita State by nine. And if you look at these losses, if you look at the seven losses minus Tulsa, you you can throw out Oregon because James was on the team. So six of them, I think you could argue that with James Wiseman, all six of those losses are wins. And some that's ifs and buts and candy nuts or whatever the saying is. Uh, close only counts in what? Horseshoes and... Horseshoes and hand grenades. There you go. So, however, let's, let's just theoretically, let's just say ideal world, James Wiseman is as good as everyone believes he is. He stays, he plays. Memphis loses to Georgia because he wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't they wouldn't have had him for Wichita State. So that's three losses. Tulsa is four. So they are sitting at 21 and four right now. 21 and four. Is that a reason to panic? Don't think anybody's complaining in that situation. They're a top 25 team. Here's the thing. Things snowball, and people need things to talk about, whether it's radio guys, whether it's newspaper guys, whether it's just fans in general. They want to know what the narrative is. So they listen to people that need to talk about stuff for their job. And here's the reality. I'm not getting paid to spout any of what I'm spouting right now on this podcast. I don't make any money off of this. I don't get sponsorships off of this. My paycheck does not depend on this. My livelihood does not depend on this. But there are people whose livelihoods depend on having things to talk about related to the Tigers on open air, in black and white, and ink. And the more controversy that gets stirred up, the more people are talking about what's being said on radio, in paper, on online the better it is for their business. And I'll just say this. There are rumors every year. Mike Miller was rumored to be involved with multiple jobs last offseason. Did he leave? No. Do I know whether or not Mike Miller is leaving this year? No, I don't. Are there rumors? Yes, there are always rumors. But here's the thing. There are always rumors. When things are going well, 
when things are not going well. And the idea that you can take rumors and spin them to fit your narrative, to make it seem like things are worse than they really are is a, um, it's honestly dishonest. It's, it's intellectually dishonest and it's not fair to fans who are living and breathing, eating, sleeping, drinking your every word. So I would say chill out. If I, I personally believe that if people would just shut the up and chill the out, that things wouldn't be nearly as bad as what people are making them out to be. Can I put it any more blunt than that? No, I, th- <laughs> I think you, uh, I think you laid that one out there. Um, but Brooks, we've, I mean, we've went on this for a minute and this is like the fourth time we've done this. Um, we, we've done all we could to, to chill people out. That's really all we can do. Um, so at this point, I, th- I think what's interesting, you talk about controlling narratives and, and, and kind of shaping what's next and what people care about. At this point, like I said, it, I mean, could you could you theoretically win the conference tournament and go to the NCAA tournament? Yes. Do I see that happening? No, not with the way this team is playing. But even when you look at what this team's done in the past three games, even in losses, I think there are obviously some encouraging things. You mentioned Boogie Ellis, uh, Lester Quinones, for the most part, has played really well. Uh, there, so there's multiple positives to this team. And for for me, you know, if if I was in a fan seat, I would kind of want to look at at what's what's next, and not necessarily meaning next season, but you know, Brooks, in your opinion, what what can Memphis do at this point to make it as as successful of a season as possible? Because you have uh, seven games left, you've got multiple you know quad one opportunities. Not that there's any tournament implications at this point, so don't misconstrue that. Uh, but multiple big time games. You got a home and road game against Houston. You got a home game against Wichita State. Uh, you've got some some big games. So, what can Memphis do at this point to to make it, uh, like I said, as as successful of a season as possible and kind of salvage, you know, what's what's been a a rough and roller coaster of a season up to this point. So I haven't done the math and I haven't really looked at what things will look like if Memphis goes 6-0 and over the final stretch and finishes conference play at 15-9. and I don't know what that looks like, um, what it would mean for SMU, for Houston, for Wichita State. But I think the likelihood that Memphis ends up in the top four of the American bracket play for the conference championship tournament is highly unlikely. I mean, ideal situation, Memphis runs the table and ends up in the top four. Because here's the thing, it's very, very hard to win four games in four days, especially for a team that's already depleted. Um, so, but here's the thing, you said, I just don't see them winning the American Conference Tournament with the way that they're playing. How are they playing, Christian? I mean, in their in their last three games, they uh, almost beat Cincinnati on the road at Cincinnati. Uh, they should have beat UConn. They kind of gave one away to South Florida. But all in all, Memphis has proven that they can play with any of the teams above them in this conference, minus Houston, just because they have not seen them. 
You know, Houston is sitting in first place right now. And Memphis will get a chance this coming Saturday to prove whether or not they can play with the top team in the conference. And if they can get that confidence booster against Houston next Saturday on the 22nd at home in the FedEx Forum, I'm not going to put anything past them. Because here's here's the thing. With elite-level players, with highly-rated players, the only thing they need to know is can I play with this guy? Can I can I go up against this guy? Can I match up against him? And can I play well? Because if if Boogie Ellis goes into Houston on Saturday and plays well, matches up well, has a good game, if Precious Achua matches up well, plays well, Memphis comes out with a win, there's no reason that they won't go in, into Houston to close out the season on March 8th thinking that they can win that game. That would be ideal. Memphis beats East Carolina as expected at home on Wednesday. They, you know, beat Houston. And then they ride that confidence into the conference tournament. Now, I'm not saying they'll go undefeated if they beat Houston. Anything can happen. But the ideal situation would be win Houston on the 22nd and then let the chips fall where they may and try to get DJ Jeffries back. That's ideal. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Christian, I, d- I do want to add one thing. Now that we're back from commercial, there is another ideal. Heading from the 2019-2020 season, Memphis has to recruit. This roster, you look at it, it's incomplete. James Wiseman, obviously gone. Precious Achua will be gone. And really looking at the the roster in terms of makeup, it's kind of lopsided with two guards, guards that really aren't point guards. So, you know, Memphis brings Isaiah Stokes in. He's sitting this year. He'll be eligible next year. He gives them some beef, some size at the four. But realistically, Memphis needs a center for sure. Isaiah Maurice will be gone. Uh, no commentary from me there. Uh, so you're not really replacing a lot with James Wiseman or Isaiah Maurice since neither one really made any kind of an impact for Memphis this year. And then you need guards who can score the ball. Memphis miss, misses more than anything right now, Rajon Tucker. Rajon Tucker would have been Memphis's starting two guard, and he would have led Memphis in points over Precious Achua this year. And 
you know, he's a tough physical guard who can go get you buckets. So here's the thing. There's constantly the the temptation to jump on the day in and day out roller coaster of recruiting analysis and recruiting news with Greg Brown, Jalen Green, Kareem Maine, you name it. And I would just caution people that this has been a long process and we are still an entire month away from either one of those guys making a decision, at least. And, you know, this stuff can come down to just look at Chris Moore's decision. Chris Moore's decision flip-flopped, and this is legitimate. This is not just, you know, this is from legitimate sources. Chris Moore's decision flip-flopped four times over the last week. So if one recruitment can flip-flop that many times within the span of seven days, twice within 24 hours, just imagine what can happen in a month. The reality is that Memphis has plenty of time. They are still going to work their tails off to you know, continue building these relationships, continue trying to close the deal on guys that they need for next year, including Jalen Green, including Greg Brown. So ideally, Memphis wraps up the 2020 recruiting class with a couple of five stars and then some guys that fill needs. That's ideal. So that's all I've got to say about that. Christian, do you have anything to add on recruiting before we turn to football? No, not really. I mean, it's just rehash what we say every time. I really don't think people understand how how fluent recruiting is and how much it changes like you were kind of alluding to with Chris Moore. But that that's always my thing when we talk about recruiting. If we're not on specifics, if we're on broad generalizations, it's how fluent and how fluid that recruiting really is. And you, it's something you have to be patient on because like you said, I mean, with, with the sources that we have and the people that we talk to close to the program uh, and close to recruitments, when we get those type when we get that type of information and it changes and it changes again uh it's it's difficult for fans to keep up with that and understand it but i mean from somebody who's behind the scenes and sees how sees how it works on both sides with football and basketball you really just have to strap in and hold on and until and until the letter of intent is signed and you never really know what's going to happen well christian i alluded to it before there was some football news that broke on monday and speaking of ideal world scenarios, Ryan Silverfield, I don't think people understand how mind-blowing of a situation this is. You broke some news on Monday about a hire that Ryan Silverfield made. Tell us a little bit about that and why I'm making it out to be such a big deal. So Ryan Silverfield is hiring a uh, a senior offensive analyst, which for people who have no clue what that is, uh, it's basically someone who you know gives their feedback and gives their opinion on the offensive side of the ball. Typically, they're you know they're not in with play calling or anything like that. I mean, obviously that's head coach, offensive coordinator, however that works. But offensive analysts and offensive quality control and defensive quality control and all those guys play an important role and and they make a big difference. So Memphis is hiring a former co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach from Baylor, Glenn Thomas, as a senior offensive analyst. 
And this, to me, like like you said, the way that Silverfield has hired this staff, I mean, and assistants and position coaches are obviously the most important, but support staff is huge. And to get a guy like Glenn Thomas, who, who like I said, was under Matt Rule at Baylor uh, for two years as a co-offense coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and before that was under Matt Rule at Temple as the offensive coordinator, and before that was in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons for seven seasons. And three of those seasons, he was a quarterbacks coach for Matt Ryan, uh, who ultimately won an NFL MVP, went to a Super Bowl, and was not anymore, but was one of the best quarterbacks in the league for for a while there. So when you look at a resume of a guy like that, and and you're not even getting him as a position coach, he's coming on as an offensive analyst. I think it says a lot about the head coach, and I think people underestimated Ryan Silverfield's ability to hire, and also underestimated how attractive of a job that Memphis really is at this point. And that's credit to obviously the coaches before and Justin Fuente and Mike Norvell for making Memphis such an attractive spot because coaches realize that it's a springboard. And if they don't want to use it as a springboard, it's a place with consistency and with Ryan Silverfield's relationship and the combination of that, it's really created the perfect storm of him being able to hire uh, a staff that is much better than the majority of, you know, of, of G5 school staffs. There's not many staffs that have the caliber of, of coaches as Memphis. When you look at position coaches alone uh, from guys like Mike McIntyre, who was the Associated Press coach of the year in 2016. Uh, when you look at a guy like Burt Watts, who was a defensive coordinator, who's coming on as a linebackers coach, uh, Glenn Thomas, as I mentioned, coming on as an offensive analyst. I mean, you can really go down the line. Charles Clark as a defensive backs coach who's been at uh, Colorado and Ole Miss. I mean, there, there's not many G5 schools who who could put together a staff like this. So it really does show you uh, what Ryan Silverfield can do and how impressive it is uh, for a first year, a guy going into his first year as a head coach, to be able to hire a staff like this on his end and on the end of the program. So uh, it just kind of adds to to what we've been seeing for for who Memphis has been able to hire and what they've been able to do. So you rewind back to the end of the 2019 college football season and Glenn Thomas was rumored to be associated when Matt Rule was talking about leaving and and eventually ended up leaving. He was associated with searches at Oregon for their one of their offensive staff positions, Notre Dame, Temple. I mean, this guy could have gone and been a coordinator at some Power 5 schools. He didn't, and he is now on staff as a senior offensive analyst for Memphis. I just, you know, with that experience, with the things that he's seen and done, both at the college level and the pro level, I think it's just a massive get for Memphis. It speaks to how good the staff is going to be. Anybody who wants to put Memphis at number 59, isn't that what? Seven. Fifty-seven. Insane. That's my next thing. Good lord. Insane. Like, I I get it. You know, people get paid to make these rankings. And I understand Mike Norvell is an incredible head coach who is at one of the best programs in college football history right now. And a coach makes a huge difference on a football team. But when you look at the staff, the players returning, what Memphis has, the momentum they have, how in the hell can you put them fifth in the American behind teams that they beat last year <laughs> and they beat one of them twice the only team they didn't beat that's ranked ahead of them is UCF and they didn't play UCF last year so to me that's just insane I know a coach makes a huge difference but you gotta you gotta look at everything when you're making rankings like that to put Navy Cincinnati and Houston over Memphis uh, in the preseason FPI is absolutely ridiculous yeah I mean 
I don't, I don't have anything else to say. It, it, that that ranking and the order of the teams from the American is just that absurd that I'm almost speechless. So Christian, I've got nothing else. My final parting words for the night to everyone. I'm just going to reiterate, chill the fuck out. Kenny, you got a lot of work to do in this episode. I'm going to let you just bleep the shit out of this episode. I, I almost want to just curse every other word. I'm, I feel like a very angry individual. I'm not drinking whiskey tonight on purpose. Christian, you got anything else? I'm good. <laughs> I swear I'm going to leave this show and I'm going to be happy. My blood pressure is going to go down. With that said, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 